Chapter Eighteen of Taking the Bastille. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Eighteen The Queen at Bay. While the king was learning to fight revolution like a philosopher and recreate himself with a spiritualistic seance, the queen was rallying the combative around her in her rooms. She sat at a table with priests, courtiers, generals, and her ladies surrounding her. At the doorways young officers, full of ardor and courage, rejoiced in the riots which gave them a chance to show their military gifts as at attorney under view of their queens of beauty. The queen was no longer the sweet girl whom we saw in our work entitled Balsamo the Magician, or the fair princess who went to Mesmer's baths with Princess Lamballe but the haughty and imperious queen, who was neither Marie Antoinette nor Queen of France, but the Austrian Eglis. She looked up as Prince Lambesque arrived, dusty, splashed, his boots torn, and his sabre bent, so as not to be sheathed properly. "'Well, my lord,' she said, "'you come from Paris. What are the people doing?' "'Killing and burning.' from madness or malice from ferocity nay prince she replied after meditating the people are not ferocious hide nothing from me is it delirium or hate i believe it is hate at the point of delirium against me what does it matter said drew breath stepping forward the people may hate any one saving your majesty the queen did not notice the flattery. The people, replied Lambesque, are acting in hatred of all above them. Good, that is the truth at last, exclaimed the royal lady resolutely. I feel that is so. I am speaking as a soldier, continued the cavalrist. Speak so. What is to be done? Nothing. What? cried she, emboldened by the protest from among the gold-laced coat and gold-hilted sword-wearers. Nothing? Do you, a Lorraine prince, tell this to the Queen of France when the people are killing and burning? A fresh murmur, this time approbative, hailed her speech. She turned, embraced all the gathering with flaring eyes, and tried to distinguish whose flamed the most brightly, thinking they would be the most loyal. "'Do nothing,' repeated the prince, "'for the Parisians will cool down, if not irritated. They are warlike only when teased. Why give them the honours of a war and the risks of a battle? Keep tranquil, and in three days Paris will not talk about the matter. But the Bastille? Shut the doors and trap all those who are inside.' Some laughs sounded among the groups. "'Take care, Prince,' said the lady. "'Now you are going to the other extreme, and too much encouraging me.' With a thoughtful mien, she went over to where her favourite, the Countess of Polignac, was in a brown study on a lounge. 
The news had frightened the lady. She smiled only when the queen stood before her, and that was a faint and sickly smile, like a wilted lily. "'What do you say to this, Countess?' "'Nothing.' and she shook her head with unspeakable discouragement. "'Heaven help us! Our dashing Diana is afraid,' said the queen, bending over her. "'We want our intrepid Countess Charnay here. It seems to me that we need her to cheer us up.' The countess was going out when the king sent for her, explained an attendant. Then only did Marie Antoinette perceive the isolation and stillness around her. The recent strange and unheard-of events had hit Versailles hard, making the hardest hearts tender, more by astonishment than fear. The sovereign understood that she must lift up these disheartened spirits. "'As nobody suggests any advice, I shall act on my own impulse,' she said. "'The people are not wicked, but led astray.' Everybody drew nearer. They hate us because they do not know us. Let us go up to them. To punish, interposed a voice, for they know we are their masters, and to doubt us is a crime. Oh, Baron, she said, recognizing Bezenval, do you come to give us good advice? I have given it. The king will punish, but as a kind father does. He loveth well, who chasteneth soundly, replied the noble. "'Are you of this thinking prince?' she asked of Lambesque. "'The populace have committed assassinations.' "'Which they call retaliation,' observed a sweet, fresh voice, which made the queen turn. "'Yes, but that is where their error lies, my dear Lamballe, so we shall be indulgent.' "'But,' resumed the princess, with her bland voice, before one talks of punishment, one ought to be sure of winning the victory, methinks. A general outcry rose against this piece of good sense from the noble lips. Not vanquish with the Swiss troops, and the Germans, and the lifeguards. Do you doubt the army and the nobility? exclaimed a young man, in Bersheni Hussian uniform. Have we deserved such a slur? Bear in mind, royal lady, that the king can put in battle array forty thousand men, throw them into Paris by the four sides, and destroy the town. Forty thousand proven soldiers are worth half a million of Parisian rioters. The young lieutenant, emboldened to be the mouthpiece of his brother officers, stopped short on seeing how far his enthusiasm had carried him but the queen had caught enough to feel the scope of his outburst. "'Do you know the state of affairs, sir?' she inquired. "'I was in the riots yesterday,' was his confused reply. "'Then do not fear to speak. Let us have details.' The lieutenant stepped out, though he colored up. "'My lords of Bezinval and Lambesque know them better than I,' he said. "'Continue, young sir.' It pleases me to hear them from you. Under whose orders are these forty thousand men? The superiors are the two gentlemen I named, under whom rule Prince Condé, Narbonne Fritzlar, and Selkenaim. The park of artillery on Montmartre could lay that district in ashes in six hours. At its signal to fire, Vincennes would answer from four quarters as many corps of ten thousand troops could march in 
and Paris would not hold out twenty-four hours. This is plain speaking at least, and a clear plan. What do you say to this, Prince Lambesque? That the young gentleman is a perfect general. At least he is a soldier who does not despair, said the queen, seeing the lieutenant turn pale with anger. "'Thank your majesty,' replied the latter. "'I do not know what your majesty will decide, "'but I beg her to count me with the other forty thousand men, "'including the captains, as ready to die for her.' "'With these words he courteously saluted the general, "'who had almost insulted him. "'This courtesy struck the queen more than the pledge of devotedness. "'Your name, sir,' said she. "'Viscount Charny,' he responded.' Charny, repeated Marie Antoinette, blushing in spite of herself. Any relation to Count Charny? I am his brother, lady, bowing more lowly than before. I might have known that you are one of my most faithful servitors, said she, recovering from her tremor and looking round with confidence. By the first words you spoke, I thank you, Viscount. "'How comes this to be the first time I have the pleasure of seeing you at court?' "'My eldest brother, head of the family, ordered me to stay with the army, "'and I have only been in Versailles twice during seven years on the regimental roll-call.' "'She let a long look dwell on his face. "'You resemble your brother,' she remarked. "'I shall scold him for having waited for you to present yourself at court.' Electrified by this greeting to their young spokesman, the officers exaggerated their devotion to the royal cause, and from each knot burst expressions of heroism able to conquer the whole of France. These cries flattered Marie Antoinette's secret aspirations, and she meant to profit by them. She saw herself in perspective, the leader of an immense army, and rejoiced over the victory against the civilians who dared to rebel. Around her, ladies and gentlemen, wild with youth, love, and confidence, cheered their brilliant hussars, heavy dragoons, terrible switzers, and thunderous cannoneers, and laughed at the homemade spikes fastened on clothes poles, without dreaming that on these coarse spears were to be carried the noblest heads of the realm. "'I am more afraid of a pike than a musket,' murmured Princess Lamballe. "'Because it is uglier, my dear Therese,' said the queen. "'But you need not be alarmed. Our Parisian pikemen are not worth the famous spearmen of Mote, and the good Swiss of this day carry guns much superior to the spears of their forefathers. Thank God they can fire true with them.' I answer for that, said Bezenval. Lady Polignac's disheartenment had no effect beyond saddening her royal mistress. The enthusiasm increased among the rest of the gathering, but was damped when the king, coming in abruptly, called for his supper. The simple word chilled the assemblage. She hoped that he did it to show how cool he was, but in fact the son of St. Louis was hungry, that was all. The king was served on a small table in the queen's sitting-room. While she was trying to revive the fire, he devoured. 
the officers did not think this gastronomical exercise worthy of a hero and looked on as little respectful as they dared to be the queen blushed and her fretfulness was displayed in all her movements her fine nervy and aristocratic nature could not understand the rule of matter over mind she went up to him asking what orders he had to give oh orders he said with his mouth full will you not be our egeria in the pinch my lord numa was a peaceful king but at present we think a belligerent one is wanted and if your majesty wants to model himself on an antique pattern be romulus if not tarquin are these gentlemen all bellicose too he asked with a tranquillity almost beatific but his eyes were bloodshot with the animation of the meal and they thought it was courage yes sire war they chorused gentlemen you please me greatly by showing that i may rely upon you in case of need but i have a counsel and an appetite the former advises me what to do the other what i have done to do and he chuckled while he handed the officer of the king's mouth the picked bones and chewed rejecta of his repast on the gold-fringed napkin a murmur of choler and stupor ran through the ranks of the nobles who were eager to shed their blood for the monarch the queen turned aside and stamped her foot prince lambesque came up to her saying your majesty sees that the king thinks like me that to wait is the best course it is prudence and though not my strong card the best to keep in hand for the final rubber in the game we play yes my lord it is a highly necessary virtue replied she biting her lip till the blood came she was roused from her torpor by the sweet voice of countess jules polignar who came up with her sister-in-law diana to propose that as she and her party were hated by the people as the favorites of the queen they should be allowed to go out of the kingdom at first the queen would not hear of the sacrifice but she saw that fear was at the bottom of it and that the king's aunt adelaide had suggested it you are right she answered you run dangers from the rage of a people who are uncurbed i cannot accept the devotion which prompts you to stay i wish i order you to depart she was choking with emotions mastering her in spite of her heroism when the king's voice suddenly sounded in her ear he was at the dessert madam he said someone is in your rooms to see you i am told sire she answered abjuring all thoughts but of royal dignity you have orders to give here are lords lambesque besenval and the marshal duke broglie what orders for your generals what do you think of this matter duke he inquired hesitatingly of old broglie sire if you retire your troops the parisians will say they daunted them if you let them stand they will have to defeat them lambesque shook his head but besenval and the queen applauded command the forward march went on the duke very well since you all wish it let it be march said the king but at this moment a note was passed to the queen who read do not be in a hurry 
I await an audience. It was Count Charny's writing. Is my Lord Charny waiting? she asked of the messenger. Yes, dusty, and I believe bloody, with hard writing. Please to await me a moment, said the Queen to Brogley and the others, as she hurried into her private apartments. End of chapter 18